Hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it. And then we have a little chat about it. This time we're switching over to me, and I picked out one of uh, my family's favorite VHS tapes growing up. uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion from 1997, starring Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, and I had never seen this. I'd only seen the cover. I associate it with, like, Clueless and Dumb and Dumber as, like, a quintessential 90s comedy. But I'm not sure if it had the same reach as those movies. I feel like it's kind of a smaller cult audience surrounding Mm -hmm. it. And for the people that did see it and were really into it at the time, it means a lot. And then other people more just think of the, uh, the cover that like that you had mentioned seeing yeah. it at like mom and pop video rental stores. Well, no, at Blockbuster. Oh, or at Blockbuster. What did you know about this movie uh, before going into it? I think the only thing I knew about it was one, they go to a high school reunion, and two, it, they were kind of dumb but fun girls. I think that was my preconception of, and pretty much all I knew about it. I didn't really know anything else. This uh, film is a very interesting origin story. Robin Schiff, who is the screenwriter, was part of this LA comedy troupe that's very famous called Groundlings. She was there with Lisa Kudrow. This whole project sort of began because she overheard these two airheaded girls talking to each other in a in a women's restroom, mm. and they had a sort of cadence that was very similar to Romy and Michelle. So this whole thing sort of began life as a stage play called Ladies' Room, where Romy and Michelle were these side characters that were on stage for like all of seven minutes in this play. And Lisa Kudrow from the beginning played Michelle. Oh, interesting. And then it was a failed TV pilot and years passed. And Lisa Kudrow, of course, became famous from for Friends. It was in about its third season when this shot. Yeah. And then once Mira Sorvino came on board, who is hot off Mighty Aphrodite, the Woody Allen movie that she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for. Um, It was kind of a a match made in heaven. A fair amount of ads on this tape. Um, The first one is for another huge 90s kind of zeitgeist movie, which is Swingers, with a young, young, young Vince Vaughn and Jon Favreau in it. I almost didn't recognize Jon Favreau. He looks so different. Yeah, a movie that really could have only come out during the mid-90s, during this swing music revival. Probably very dated now, but it was a a very exciting comedy at the time. Had a lot of people talking. The second ad was for a uh, not-super-memorable Tim Robbins-Martin Lawrence team-up called Nothing to Lose. That was another of those movies where I'd seen the ad, I'm sure, on other tapes, but I don't think I'd ever seen that particular film. I feel like you probably couldn't do this plot anymore that involves a white, kind of frustrated man getting carjacked by a black criminal and then them being buddies. That seems kind of problematic for today's audiences. Yeah, it's a weird sort of setup. And then I guess the third consecutive uh, buddy movie that we have an ad for is Gone Fishing with Danny Glover and Joe Pesci. I think one of your dad's favorite movies, right? I mean, I'm sure because he loves both of those actors and... Little lethal weapon reunion between those two. One of those 90s comedies where it seems like 
a comedy of errors that kind of turns into a disaster movie with like it's, it seems like a huge budget it seems like a lot of stuff gets destroyed yeah and yet still not huge on the scale of the weird buddy comedies that they have now where you've got massive explosions and it's it's essentially just a giant action movie with some funny lines and then uh, they sort of just cram a whole bunch of ads on this tape. Let's go through it really quick. The fourth one is like just kind of telling you everything that's on video right now from Touchstone. And they dwell more on the movies that are hits, you know, yeah. like one of your favorites while you were sleeping, mm-hmm. Pretty Woman, which has been on the show, both Father of the Bride movies. And they kind of start speeding up the clips. And it's like, by the way, we got these other movies, you know. Fast like, enough so you don't really recognize them as not being movies you care about. Yeah, you know, like Miami Rhapsody, that movie. And uh, Green Card, you know, these movies too. Yeah. Mr. Wrong, that's a movie. <laughs> Mr. Wrong, I've seen, and is actually pretty good. It was Ellen before she came out in a rom-com where she's uh, essentially going to fall in love and, 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 and endure a bunch of hijinks with Bill Pullman. So any any Ellen-Bill Pullman combo seems pretty good to me. Man, Bill Pullman was killing it at this time. Because while you were sleeping, Independence Day, Mr. Wrong... <laughs> The real hero of Sleepless in Seattle. And then the probably the weirdest ad that I've seen on a tape on, for this show in a long time, which is just an ad for the soap opera General Hospital. That's it. Just that it's on Wednesdays on a- ABC. I mean, I get it that, like, Touchstone and ABC are both owned by Disney, but it's like, why would they think... Because you're watching Romy and Michelle that you would want to watch General Hospital. Unless they were putting that on all of the tapes they were releasing at that time. We saw a rom-com in theaters recently. (laughs) Yeah. uh, One of Lindsay's new favorites called uh, Home Again. And I remember feeling the same way where there were just so many trailers before the film that I, I felt like we'd already seen a movie when it felt like a double feature, like a double header. And it, I was just exhausted. Was, it was at least 10 minutes of ads, probably more like 15 minutes. Yeah, I think ads. they advertised about seven films. It was yeah, really insane. It wouldn't stop. And then it just made the movie, which was not very good, seem even longer. So, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. I think the thing that makes this movie so beloved and memorable is that it's a movie about outsiders. I mean, not just Romy and Michelle, but also Heather Mooney and Sandy and Toby and the smoking cowboy. Like, there's just all these characters that I think, like a lot of us, didn't really fit into any normal social group, especially in high school. And it's kind of empowering for those kind of outsider type characters yeah i can see that and you're always into movies that are about outsider type characters i mean that's why you love john cusack right i mean i picked this movie because i just skipped my own high school reunion and this movie was actually pushed back the release because of another high school reunion movie that i almost had on the show gross point blank and it's funny that in 97 these two movies came out very close together that were both kind of about these outsider types kind of reckoning with the lives they have now versus the people they were in high school. I mean, and that film is more extreme because he's a hitman. I think what really makes this movie interesting is like they're these kind of like 
airheaded, ditzy, you know, dim-witted characters, but the movie is never really, like, making fun of them. I feel like it's not really, like, a mean-spirited take on these characters. I mean, they seem like... They're very much like an ownership and... Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm thinking... I, I feel like they are made fun of in some of the different ways. Like, some of the back brace stuff. Like, we're kind of laughing at them as we're laughing with them. Yeah, but I, I feel like the movie isn't totally, like, mean-spirited. Like, look at these idiots in the same way yeah. that, like, Dumb and Dumber is. That's true. One of my favorite... One of, I don't know why, but one of my favorite exchanges was when they got the car. Romy told Michelle that she had given all the guys hand jobs to get the car and Michelle was like, Oh, that's great and then just like <laughs> as if that is totally what happened and didn't didn't even bat an eye. And I think part of that exchange why I enjoyed it so much is it says so much about Michelle that she doesn't think there's a problem with it. She doesn't slut shame her friend. She's not horrified. She's just like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that for a car? I think like a better comparison is that this is sort of a female driven like Wayne's World sort of film where like they're not so dumb that they can't even survive like in normal situations like Dumb and Dumber. I feel like it's more just kind of like exist in their own world and like their mm -hmm. friendship is very real and which is really cool because I don't feel like there are a lot of female driven buddy comedies in the 90s like I can't even really think of many off the top of my head I guess yeah. Clueless could sort of be and this has, definitely has a lot of Clueless influences I feel For like sure. like Mona May who is the uh, costume designer on Clueless was brought onto this just for that reason yeah and you can kind of feel it but Clueless there's a bit of a buddy comedy thing between Cher and Dion although I think that's pursued a lot more in the TV series but really, it centers just on Cher and kind of her experiences and her character development. I thought it was interesting, too, that when we're introduced to these characters, they're watching Pretty Woman. Kind of a related movie, and, it, and you're getting a feel for them for the fact that they're making fun of it. But then you can see that Michelle especially seems to secretly really love the movie and enjoy it. Yeah. But she's not really confident enough to tell Romy that. I kind of get the sense that they both really like it. I mean, they say that they've seen it 26 times, and yeah. I don't think you do that unless you really like the movie. It's been 10 years since they graduated from high school in Tucson, Arizona. They're now living in Venice Beach in L.A. They find out about, or rather, uh, Romy finds out about their high school reunion from Heather Mooney, played by Janine Garofalo, who's great in this movie, is just kind of the really dry, kind of misanthropic... Another another huge outsider character who shows up at the Jaguar dealership where Romy works and lets them know about it. It's only when they're filling out the application, or uh, sort of the questionnaire before the reunion, that they realize they haven't done a whole lot with their lives. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a very, like, interesting way to sort of kick this off. Because they hadn't even really thought about the fact. One of them has a job, the other doesn't. They live together. And they have a lot of fun, but they haven't necessarily, like, set the world on fire. I guess the way, especially yeah. Romy, had hoped that they would. They acknowledge that they're not in relationships. Which, you'd think they'd put the spin of, well, we're in the big city in LA. We go clubbing all the time. Like, who cares if they don't have a steady relationship? But I guess when you're going back to your hometown where you know people are going to be married and already having kids, maybe you feel that pressure. And because it's about a high school reunion, I think that the movie is also very 
centered on like how other people perceive you that's another huge theme of the movie yeah because they had been really happy up to the point like just living together and being best friends until they kind of had to analyze their lives Mm -hmm. and i mean particularly for romy i feel like they really want to go to this reunion and like impress everyone as particularly the the a group that had bullied them in high school the whole A group, B group, and then the, the slow realization that they weren't a part of any group. Ultimately, I think the thing that they realize is that they had their own group of the two of them. Yeah. And that's where they they kind of acknowledge, actually, our lives have been great. Everything's great. We're doing our own thing. And we get this great sequence of flashbacks that are kind of motivated by them flipping through their high school yearbook. It's kind of fun to see how, like, a movie from the late 90s portrayed the late 80s, because now I feel like it's really in vogue to, I mean, like, we just saw It, and also there's, Mm -hmm. like, Stranger Things now, and I feel like there's a very particular way that we show the 80s in media now, but I feel like it was still so new then, like, there wasn't much distance from it, like, a lot of the fashions were still even in vogue in the 90s. And it was interesting seeing the hair, because I feel like they committed more to the 80s look than, say, Stranger Things does now, where they subtly update it for today's audiences, but... At that point, when this was released, you know, they were only seven years out of the 80s. Because Romy and Michelle are so into fashion and they make their own clothes, it gets really funny to see the way that they're influenced by Madonna and things Mm -hmm. like that, like what they wear to the prom. And uh, I feel like a lot of those details, I'm sure a lot of it comes (laughs) from uh, Mona May. But um, the thing that was funny about that one, too, is they're at the prom and they're supposed to be seen as kind of freaks because they didn't dress like anyone else. And I was looking at their outfits and their hair and I was thinking they look so much better than the other girls in their weird prairie fluffy dresses. I think the idea is that just like Heather, they never really belonged in Tucson, which in this is sort of portrayed as sort of a hick town. I don't really know anything about Tucson in real life. Yeah, Uh, it's my perception of it is based entirely on this movie what's funny is alan cummings who you who we just found out is scottish i had always i guess assumed that he was american this was his first american movie i guess he had just done goldeneye and he was really confused as to why people were pronouncing it tucson he thought it was tuxen based on the (laughs) the script and he was uh i this is just a, a whole Alan Cummings side tangent, but also I, I was tickled by the thought that he was confused by IHOP because I guess the cast had <laughs> eaten at IHOP and he's like, this isn't, there's nothing international about this. This is an American house of pancakes. So, which is to say that Alan Cummings is in this movie and he's also very good as a... Kind of one of the more interesting characters in the movie, uh, Sandy Frank, who's a pretty, like, stereotypical nerd, but because he becomes a millionaire, he's suddenly very appealing to all of the other characters in the movie. Which is just sad, but then yeah. I guess if you think about it, it's it's not a uh, big surprise. It's one of the more troubling things about the movie, but I think that it's all kind of in service of the the jokes, particularly in the extended uh, nightmare sequence that we get. We get mm-hmm. two uh, 
Uh, it was. I was really excited to see how you reacted to this. It's a uh, divisive thing about this movie. The fact that there's like a 20 minute nightmare sequence about how the reunion could go. And you think, like I went into it thinking that it was actually happening. And so I was invested in it thinking this is what's actually going on with these characters. And then it, there were different things about it kind of early on. And then just as it was going on, these surreal touches where it was just not... It didn't fit with the rest of the movie, but it wasn't being obvious that it was a dream, so it was really bugging me, because I was just kind of like, why is the style of this film changing? Why why is this so inconsistent with what ha- was happening before? And then, bam, finally, she wakes, Michelle wakes up, and we find out that I just wasted 20 minutes watching. It wasn't a waste. I shouldn't say it's a waste, but I did feel cheated. <laughs> And then, like, as it was going on, I kept waiting for it to happen again, where they'd take (laughs) take it away and say, oh, actually, none of this happened either. I would argue that Michelle does learn that she really wants to preserve her friendship with Romy from that nightmare sequence. I think that I've always just been so used to that, but it's I, I was sort of watching this through your eyes while I was watching it and how weird of a creative decision that is. So that it's basically a road movie for like a solid stretch of it where they're on their way to the reunion and then they get there and it's it yeah, like there's the surreal touches and it gets more and more surreal, like Michelle losing her top and accepting a medal for uh, most improved in a bra. Yeah. And like they're the limo and the Jaguar being parked inside of the uh, the ballroom. It is very odd that they basically do the reunion twice. And like you were saying, the, the second time is also kind of surreal with that really yeah. long kind of weird ballet sequence to time after time. Yeah, that was where I was thinking it had to be a dream again. Choreographed dance sequences are something in movies where you have to uh, suspend your disbelief a little bit. I believed that they, the two of them could do a choreographed dance, but throwing Alan Cummings in was, was pushing my disbelief. Um, a few other people that pop up in this movie, Elaine Hendricks, who is this evil stepmom in The Parent Trap, or is going to be the evil stepmom. Kind of the popular girl who sort of goes her own way and is the fashion editor at Vogue and is on hand to say how great their outfits are. In defense, yeah, in their defense at the reunion, which is kind of a funny turn. I feel like another really memorable thing about this movie is how they're so desperate to impress everyone at the reunion that they claim to have invented post-its. That's kind of the... I mean, that's one of the biggest where they were anticipating facing judgment from these other people, these other people who they don't even associate with anymore and shouldn't really care about. And that's where it kind of ruins their friendship. They're sort of miserable they embarrass themselves and then it's kind of that the takeaway is well shit we just need to be who we want to be so they do makeover they go back to how they were and end up killing it at the reunion and have a great time and fly away with alan coming <laughs> you know it's funny how it is sort of a, like a reverse makeover movie where they, they have to they, unmake them yeah they they pose as businesswomen. <laughs> 
They ask, I love the scene where they ask, do you have some sort of businesswoman's lunch special? Only to basically kind of go back to what they like to wear. And another thing that I thought of during this whole sequence that the post-it notes, I mean, they are inspired by the fact that Heather Mooney invented the fast-burning cigarettes. Yeah, but don't pick something that was invented in the 70s. They would have post-it notes in high school, is one thing I thought about. Uh, but also, this movie could not be made today the way it is just because of the internet like they'd be uh like because of social media they would know exactly what they're doing and even if yeah. they weren't on it you could just easily look up you know who invented post-it notes on yeah. wikipedia or something so i'm i'm glad that uh that this movie came out when it did because it doesn't have to jump through all those hurdles i feel like a high school reunion movie now would be so complicated because we sort of get updates on everyone's lives all the time yeah which is a big reason why i didn't go to mine just because like well i know what everyone's doing and the people yeah. that i actually care about i still am in touch with i'm trying to think of what they would lie about they could lie about being in a software incubator. <laughs> so this movie wasn't a huge uh, box office hit. It was a critical hit. Critics generally liked it, which I think was surprising to Robin Schiff and the director, David Merkin, because it didn't test particularly well. I think that, you know, whoever the test audiences were just didn't get it. But uh, it has become sort of a cult hit later. It's inspired a... Uh, a sitcom, uh, well, I guess a failed pilot that was turned into a TV movie called Romy and Michelle in the Beginning, uh -huh. which which looks awful. Catherine Heigl plays Romy, so, and I forget who plays Michelle. I don't know, it reminds me of Dumb and Dumberer. Like, it's just a horrible idea, like, to recast these really, like, likable characters to do, like, a, a prequel thing where they're in high school. I mean, I guess they did that with the Carrie Diaries, too, where they had Carrie Bradshaw from Sex oh, and the City yeah. as a high school student. And I, I just don't understand. I forgot about that. Did that do well, or was that on TV for a while? I have no idea. I didn't watch it. But it just, it's a odd premise to me, because it's like you're taking a beloved character that people already know very well, and then completely changing it up and having to invent all this content that probably doesn't really sync up with what happens in the the actual film that people know and it also opened as a musical in seattle this summer the book was written by robin schiff so it had her direct involvement well i guess the the tv pilot did all as well but i think they're trying to do what legally blonde did which was successfully adapted into a musical and there, i guess there's been some other movies that have that's happened with but mm -hmm. I don't think it's been particularly well received. I haven't heard anything more about it. I don't know if it has is going to have a New York or off off Broadway opening anytime soon. And there's always been whispers that there'd be like a sequel, like Romy and Michelle go somewhere else or do this or do that. But I feel like it just too much time has passed. It's a 20 year old movie at this point. Um, but every time like one of those retrospectives uh, or like oral history of sort of comes out about this movie, they're always asking. It sort of seems like people are up for it, but they just don't know what that would look like. Yeah. And it might be a little sad, like catching up with these characters 20 years later. And they, I mean, I guess they have their like boutique clothing store, but yeah. Like, who knows if that would still be in operation. I do not believe that Michelle and Sandy Frank would end up together. Because they just have nothing in common. He is wealthy, and I guess you could go with the stereotype of the wealthy guy that wants his trophy. That is kind of what it is. That's kind of what it is. 
because why else is he so fascinated with her? It's all about her appearance. Like that's mm-hmm. why they make all the notebooks covering his erection jokes. Yeah, and and he even like loans them who knows how much money to open their store at the end. Yeah, but I just don't really see that couple lasting, even though uh, in the nightmare sequence it does. It lasts seventy years. Um, this one's a buy it for me. I think this is a personal choice. Uh, I realize that it has its shortcomings, but it's a movie that I never really get tired of. I don't know, like, even watching it through your eyes and, like, noticing some of the weird elements of it, like that long nightmare sequence, and the fact that it's very, like, character-driven and doesn't have a lot of story, like, those things don't really bother me. I just love the chemistry between these two leads, and I love all the memorable lines, and the... It's just such a colorful, fun movie. The soundtrack's great. So, yeah, I I really recommend it, especially if you're into uh, buddy movies with uh, ditzy, likable leads. What did you think, Lindsay? I'd say rent it. I really enjoyed it. It's not something that, um, to me, feels like a classic, but I think it's because this was my first watch of it, right? I didn't grow up with it. I don't have... A long intimate history of quoting it with my family like you do <laughs> but um it was still really fun i enjoyed the two characters i thought you know there were definitely a lot of really there was a lot of really funny dialogue and some of the circumstances i still feel a little bit of bitterness about the dream sequence but overall it definitely won me over you'll learn to love the dream sequence you just need a few more watches i think All right, Lindsay, well, we're heading into the spookiest month of the damn year, October, and that's when we each pick a kind of spooky movie, kind of a scary movie, maybe just something set around Halloween or involving supernatural things. Uh, Have you picked out something for us? I'd like to watch Practical Magic starring Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. That can certainly be done. It's about witches. Yep. All about witches. I remember it being a little bit startling. I saw it when I was pretty young, but uh, I haven't seen it in a really long time. I vaguely remember really enjoying it, so we'll see. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. If you have any questions, you can write us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. <laughs>